So if y'all would, turn with me to Hosea uh, chapter 1. We're going to be picking up uh, kind of where we left off last week in the text as we were kind of looking at what Scripture says about God's character, specifically about his, the nature of Him being a triune God. Uh, last week we kind of ended with Psalm 110.1 and then looking at, um, looking at Matthew chapter 22 verses 41 through, through 46. Um, we probably made it, like I say, about halfway through the text that we that we've kind of set aside for us to look at as we explore this. This is a a scripture heavy um, lesson, and that's because, like we started off with last week, like I think there's a there's a great danger in trying to describe the Trinity by giving analogies because I don't think that there's a single analogy that can do justice, and I think most of the time when we go the way of analogies, we do more harm than good in describing what it means for God to be triune. So um, I'm going to restate the three truths that Scripture tells us, um, and then we're going to kind of continue looking at, looking at Scripture um, so that we can get a that we can get a look at these at these truths. So the three truths that we hold um, about God's nature here is that God is three persons, that each person is fully God, and that there is one God. Right? Those are the three truths that Scripture continually puts out there that there's that there's three persons that there's that each of those persons that's the father the son the spirit are fully god they're not part god it doesn't take the whole of them to make a whole god but that each of them each person of the trinity is completely and fully god and yet there is one and only one God. So let's continue letting Scripture speak to us these truths. And that's what I want us kind of, like when you consider the Trinity yourself, like I want you, your default to be, well, let's see what the text says. Let's, let's look at what Scripture itself says and let's let that stand, right? Let's be comfortable that there are things about this that we cannot give adequate, um, analogy to or adequate explanation to tie it into a nice little package or, or, or you know, make it neat and, and easy to consume. Like, let's, let's be comfortable with the fact that this is a difficult idea and that Scripture speaks in, in such a way that's not contradictory, but it is, it is uh, something of a paradox because, like I say, we can't, um, we can't put proper um, analogy to it because God is unique in this there is none other like him so there is none to compare him with so Hosea chapter 1 we're going to look at verse 7 here specifically um, let's I'm going to go back actually to verse 6 I'm, I'm, I'm going to be reading verse 6 just for the sake of us seeing who it is that's speaking here but verse 7 is is where we want to uh, 
to, to kind of focus here. So verse 6, She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, so the Lord's speaking here. That's why I wanted to kind of step back into verse 6. And the Lord said to him, Call her name, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Verse 7, pay attention here. But I have mercy on, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So pay attention to the to the language here. So the Lord's speaking and the Lord like either he does this strange thing in the Old Testament where he talks about himself frequently in third person or he's speaking in a way that that now looking back knowing what Christ has kind of fully revealed about the nature of God that we can see that these are verses where he's speaking in a language that when you look back, knowing what we know now as believers, that we can see Him pointing towards the truth of His character, even in the way that He used His words to speak about the actions that He would take. So verse 6, we see that it's the Lord that says these things, and the Lord actually says, I'll have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. So who's doing the saving? By who? By the Lord their God. So we see the language here and how that language is odd lest God is, is, has a character and nature in which He can speak about Himself in third person without being weird, right? Like, like if Landon always spoke about Landon in third person, like that would just be weird to us. But for some reason, God does that frequently uh, in the Old Testament and gets away with it. Maybe it's because He's God or maybe it's because there's something unique about Him and, and what He's going to do that He's giving hints even in the Old Testament about these things taking place. Um, so again, so like last week we talked about the, the idea of progressive revelation or how from how from the beginning of God's dealings with man until, until the resurrection, He had been consistently uh, throughout the throughout the generations providing more and more insight into His character. That's the idea of progressive revelation. That as you progress through Scripture, as you progress through redemptive history, then you also progress in your understanding of who God is and what God's doing. Ultimately, that culminating in the cross. Um, we see tons of pictures in the Old Testament that that kind of point us to this. If we were to flip to Isaiah now, uh, Isaiah chapter 48. So if y'all flip over to Isaiah chapter 48, we're going to look here at verses 12 through 16. Um, So the particular place that we're going to look at here um, is, is in verse... 16, but I want us to, again, go all the way back to 12 so that we can kind of see and ask ourselves, who is it that's talking here, right? Like, who is it that's saying these things here? And, and like, as we progress through this, especially, like, as believers, we, we know what's happened in the New Testament. We, 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 that's literally why we are here. Like, as we look back, I want us to kind of marvel a bit that God did these things in the way that He did them and that Christ was there all along, right? That He was working all along. There's there's places in, in Scripture where we literally can see the voice of Christ speaking, right? So like that's something that we see that we see here in 
in Isaiah chapter 48. So let's look at verse, we're going to start in verse 12. And I want you to ask yourself, who is this that's speaking here? Uh, So Isaiah 48 verse 12, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, the first, or I am the first, and I am the last. My hands laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens when I called to them. They stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him and shall perform his purpose on Babylon. And his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I have spoken and called him. I have brought him forth. And he will prosper in his way. Verse 16, pay attention here. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Right? So now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Who's saying this? So who who's saying this? It is. It is. Right? Like, who's He sending? Who's sending? And who is He sending? Right? Like, let's read this again. Read this again. Ask yourself again, who is speaking these things? And how can He say these things? Like, consider, who can say, I laid the foundations of the earth? Who can say that? God and only God. Right? God and only God. So pay attention to who's saying that. And then what he says there at the end, right? Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I called. Who called them? Who called them? Who called the nation of Israel? God called the nation of Israel, right? I am He. I am the first and I am the last. Who can say that? God and God alone can say that, right? I am the first and I am the last. God and God alone. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. Who can say that? God and God alone. And my right hand spread out the heavens. Who can say that? Yes. So, so consistently we're pressing through this and we ask ourselves who can say this and we say God and God alone can say this. When I call them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. Who's spoken and called here? This is God, right? The one who laid the foundations of the earth. The one who is the first and the last. Verse 15. I, even I, have spoken and called Him. I have brought Him. And He will prosper in His way. Draw near to Me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. And from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent Me. So who's been talking this whole time? Who's been talking this whole time? God, right? Because only God can lay the foundations. Only God is the first and the last. And yet, God says, and now the Lord God has sent me. And so to me, Jesus, when He comes and He begins to speak in His ministry, He helps us understand that 
Trinity in the love that He and the Father share. So it's like they can't be set yeah. in their will or yeah. their thought, and, and He was there. Yeah. Like when we read this, this right? When we read this, and and this, like I would encourage you go back and reread. Like you should be doing this already, right? Like Dustin's been saying this for forever. Go back and read the Old Testament with that lens. Who's speaking to us, right? Like, can we see from this text that Jesus is speaking? That it only makes sense. This passage of text only makes sense if it's Jesus saying it, right? Now pay attention to what He says. And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit, right? So in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we can see the plurality of persons in the Godhead, right? So we see Christ speaking as only God can speak, right? Now, if you only had this, you would, like, you would be stumped a little as to how you would, why, how you would come to the language that's being used here. Now, we can easily see Christ here, right? Because only God can say that I'm the first and the last. Only God can say that He laid the foundations, right? Only God can say that He called them out. Because it's only God that did that. Right? And then only God can speak of Himself like this. And now the Lord God has sent me. And His Spirit. Right? So we see these distinctions that are made uh, even in the Old Testament. Now I want you to hold on to this thought. Right? I want you to hold on to this thought. This idea that He says that I'm the first, I'm the last. Uh, that he says that uh, that he laid the foundations of the earth, that he spread out the heavens, right? That he called them. Like I want you to keep that in your mind because we're going to end in John chapter one, and I want us to to kind of see how these realities kind of bookend, and we see very clearly in the New Testament um, who who this is who this is speaking to. Uh, so let's continue and, and kind of press on. Flip with me. We're going to go now to the New Testament. So flip with me to Matthew. Flip with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. So I'll give you all a second to get there. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17. So... This is the baptism. This is probably one of the clearest places in all of Scripture where we see um, where we see this paradox in place, right? Like we we see clearly that there's no changing of modes, right? There's not like being the Father at one moment, being the Spirit at one moment, being the Son at one moment, right? Like that would be the idea there is modalism. We're going to talk when we go through kind of the history of the understanding of these things next week. We're going to talk about some of the the false ways of thinking about who God is. Modalism is one of those. That's the idea that at certain points in time, God made Himself known as the Father. At other points in time, God made Himself known as the Son, and then at other points in time, God makes Himself known as the Spirit. Essentially, one God changing modes, right, at certain points in time, right? Like, this passage of text here does away with that possibility, right? Because 
The three persons are at the same place at the same time doing different things, right? So we have, so let's, let's read it. So Matthew chapter 3, 16, 17. So this is the baptism. And Jesus was, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw, so who saw? This is Jesus that's being baptized. This is Jesus that is seeing this take place. The Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. So we see Jesus who's just come up from the water. We see the Spirit descending. We see Jesus interacting, right? Like Jesus sees this taking place, right? Verse 17 And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Who says this is my beloved Son? The Father, right? Clearly it's the Father here. This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. So we see see Jesus seeing the, the Spirit descend. We see the Spirit descending. We see that the Father recognizing the Son as all of this is taking place, saying... This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, right? So at this moment, we, so, so we see that there, that there is a clear distinction of personhood, right? Like, like the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son, right? So we see that they are distinct, right? Three persons. So this is this is one of the clearest places that you see it, right? I think that I think that if we were to go back and, and relook at, at at Isaiah, you would see the language of that distinction, right? So like I and, and even when you go like to the to the simpler examples where you see if you press farther back like into Genesis and you, and you see God referring to himself as us, I think you Consistently see there's distinction, but clarity in that distinction is made as clear as it could be here, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you because they're all in the same place, same time, same event taking place, right? Yeah. So like, you, well, that's there's the spirit descending there, right? But like, as far as like a like a like same place. Same time, like where 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 the distinction is being made clear, right? Like like that's we can see that absolutely crystal clear here, right? Like like you can see that the spirit is not the the sun, right? And you can see as well, like just just considering that taking place, like what would it mean if they were changing modes, like like when the spirit descends on Christ, like does it like like is he like changing modes really quickly, right? Like is this like like him like switching between the spirit and the like so that the spirit? No, it's not like like that would be a an absolute stretch to try to describe this. The clearest way to describe this is they're distinct, right? Is that the spirit is distinct from the father, from the son? The son's distinct from the father. Like the father's referring to the son, right? The the father's referring to the son. So like we see this that's been that's been kind of culminating throughout throughout uh, redemptive history. We see it as clear as you could have it presented at this moment, right? 
Like, like the, the clarity comes here, right? Yes. Like this is not let us go down and you're like, what does God mean when He says us, right? Like God says, this is my Son. This is my beloved Son. So we see the Father speaking towards the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, right? So like all the us, all the like allusions to, to the nature of God being, being, um, being unique in the Old Testament is made crystal clear here in the New, right? And it, it, continues, it continues to be so as well. Let's, let's continue and let's look at Matthew chapter uh, 20, 28. Um, so if you flip with me to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at the, at the Great Commission here. So Matthew chapter 28, verses. Uh, we'll look at verses 18 and 19 here. So this is the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So like, uh, before we get here, I want us to ask, uh, what's the significance of baptism? And is it idolatry to elevate in worth something that's not God to the level of God? Is that idolatry? Right? Like that's the nature of idolatry. Is that something that's not God, that's not worthy of the praise or adoration or consideration, to be elevated to equality with God is idolatry. Right? So to do that would be idolatry. So to so to so when he does what he does here, when he says to go out and he says, go out in, in, in our name, basically, right? Like, if he were to include in that statement, like if, I'm, if, if, if a king sends out a decree, right? Like, would, would it be strange for him to go out with that decree and then also include some lesser, right? Like, like, he, like I need you to go out in their name too for whatever strange... No, you're going in the, in the name of the highest authority, Right? So, so that's what's happening here when he says to go out and baptize, right? So, let's start back in 18. And Jesus, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when he says go out, whose name does he say go out in? Father, Son, Spirit. Right? So each of these are equated, right? So if the, clearly the Father's God. Like I don't think that, I don't think that anybody's disputing that. Like we would go to our, to, to the Jews and we're having a conversation about who God is and we say, the Father's God, the Jews are going to be like, absolutely, the Father's God. We're going to say, the Son is, is God and they're going to say, no way, the Son's not God. And that would be, that would be, uh, idolatry to say such. Right? And yet we say, the Father is God, Christ is God, and not only that, but in case you think 
that that distinction that was made in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, where the Spirit's descending, the Father's speaking, the Son is, is there. Like in, in, in case you think that, that the Spirit is somehow a lesser thing, right? When He says to go out, He says go out in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like Christ Himself makes that distinction clear, right? That the Spirit is equal. It's not like some, some like, 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 it's Jesus, like, it's, it's the Spirit is separate and distinct as well, right? And equal, in essence, such that you could say that the Spirit is God, the Father is God, and Christ is God. And you are not an idolater for saying that, right? So this is this is what Christ is saying when he when he when he says this, right? So again, let's continue on. Let's look in First Corinthians. First um, Corinthians chapter twelve. Flip with me. Flip with me there. Um, actually, let's go to Ephesians. We're going to start in Ephesians. So we'll come back to the we'll we'll come back to that one. Uh, How crazy, right? Yeah. So go with the name, right? <laughs> so so all or who? God, right? Three persons, one God, right? So go in the name of God. God, three persons, right? One God, three persons. We don't see we see the three distinct persons, yes, but we don't think them think of all of them as the same. It's like you got. And this is my way of thinking of it. You got a stream and a river and an ocean. All of them's water. It's all water. <laughs> it is. Water. Right. But I want to. They're all. Yeah. They're all connected. Yeah. Yeah, but again, like, and I want so like this, the like the stream river, like like listen, listen, right? So what's this though? What's this though? And this is why I say that like we have to be careful about analogies, right? Because the stream is not the ocean, right? It's it's part of that whole thing, and 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 the river is not the stream, nor is the river the ocean, right? So like, and that's why I say because like we we'll, we'll, like. You can't, right? Because here's what we're saying is that we're saying that Christ is not part of God. He is all and completely God, right? And that the Holy Spirit is not part of God. He is all fully, completely God. And that's why it's like when you, when at that point, like, there's, it, 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 we push into this place where it's like, well, how do you explain that? And it's like, you cannot. Like, it is absolutely unexplainable. Right? Like there's no analogy that will hold there. And this is the reason. This is the reason. Because there is none like God. Right? Analogies come because there is something similar to something. Right? But there is no analogy that holds when we consider God, the, the Trinity, because these things, like you tell me, you tell me a single being that has three persons. Right? None. Like there's none. Because we only know of persons who are single in their essence and being. Right? We only know that. Like our, 
are, we are limited in our comparison because we know of no other. And there is no other. Right? There's no other in which this type of language can hold and not be contradictory. Right? So there's really that that shores up what she shared with the singular name. Yeah, it really shores. It does the singular name. Yeah, so so he can go in the name singular and yet list three persons. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and this is this is why, and I kind of alluded to this last week. I think that when you consider the nature of God, if God were not a plurality of persons, then He would be in need, right? Right. He could not be a God of love, lest that love is shown and shared, right? So, if God were not in what we see of, of Christ, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, right? If he weren't, if his nature were not so, then we could say for God to love, he needs an object of that love. Yet God needs no one and nothing because for eternity they have shared in this love, right? He does not need con- like he is in need of nothing. Only God can say that, right? Yet, if God were lacking in his character, in his nature, then there would be need. He needed not create, right? Like a lot of times when people think about why did God create, people think God was lonely. He was not lonely. He was in perfect unity with himself. Right? Perfect joy, perfect happiness, perfect community among the Godhead for eternity. He created because He desired to create. Right? He needed not create. You don't exist because God needed you. Right? Everything we do is out of a need. Yes. But everything God does is out of His character. It's out of His character. It's out of His will. Yes. We don't operate like that. Yes. And it's hard for us to understand, right? So let's let's continue on. So Ephesians chapter four. Uh, let's look at verses four through six. So we're going to see this, and I wanted to start here because we're going to see the same kind of language. We're going to see the same kind of language in a couple of a couple of places here. So chapter four, verses four through six. There's one body and one spirit, just as. You were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. Right? So we see here distinctions made. So one thing that I want us to pay attention to is that in the New Testament we'll find very frequently that the New Testament authors use particular language when when they start speaking of these these persons of the Trinity. Oftentimes you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear the word God frequently associated with the Father. You'll hear Lord frequently associated with Christ. Um, and then um, we see the, the Spirit there as well. So there's one body and one Spirit. We see the distinction. Just as you were called um, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So let's flip now back to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 12 here. Uh, 
so 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6. And I want to st- we'll see the same kind of distinction that starts being made. So now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but, it, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to kind of roll through here because we've got about uh, six or so minutes left. So 2 Corinthians... Chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verse uh, 14 here. So, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, so notice the distinctions that are made here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So again, here we see this distinction being made between the persons. Uh, now let's flip to, and we're, we've got about three, three passages left here. So let's flip to First Peter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Um, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood. So again, we see in this passage these distinctions being made in the, in the, in the person, in the roles uh, that, that, that each person uh, has, is, is kind of playing in the, in the Acts of redemptive history here. So now let's flip to Jude. We're going to be looking at Jude verses 20 and 21. So Jude 20, 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So here again we see Holy Spirit, we see love of God, we see Christ. So we see these disti- these these distinctions that kind of get brought out, and you see this you see this quite often um, in the in the New Testament. Now I want us we're going to finish up in the Book of John. This is the last one. We're kind of on the the home stretch here. So in the Book of John. And everybody's probably very familiar with this, uh, with this passage. So, uh, John 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to look at verse 14. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then if we jump down, in case someone were to be confused about who this Word is, that was in the beginning, was the Word, so not in the beginning the Word was created. That's not what it says in the beginning. Was the Word, right? So the Word pre-existed the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word that was both with and was God became flesh in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? So this Word was eternal. Right? 
So when the beginning happened, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so somehow this Word that became flesh could simultaneously be God, because it says the Word was God. This Word could simultaneously be with God, because it said the Word was with God. And yet this Word, who was with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of truth and grace. Full of grace and truth. So, if there's any question about who was eternal with God and was God, um, verse 14 makes clear here that this was the Son. So, the Son is eternal with God being God. And and it's okay that that's confusing, right? It's okay that, that you can't give a good analogy to explain that. Let that truth stand on its own. So who is Christ? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. These are true statements about Christ. right? Let them stand. And then 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth.